All right, ladies and gentlemen. So it's time to talk some Orange County Soccer Club soccer after a frustrating night in Irvine at Championship Soccer Stadium. We've brought some friends along to help uh, figure things out, maybe uh, help us calm down a little bit. And I guess hopefully also prepare for our next match coming up this weekend. This is the Orange and Black Soccer Cast. We are underway in the postseason, the first playoff game ever played in Orange County. It's a one-two, Godoy, he's found a great ball in, and Volts in plenty of time, he smashes it off and doubles the visitors' lead, Thomas Ennevolson. Now Segbris sprinting forward on the counterattack. A little handsy there, crosses it. Pineda, the extra pass. Seaton finishes! It rolls down to his left and burying aside. All taken care of by the Orange County keeper. We'll leave it for Aiden Quinn. He'll strike towards goal, and it's gone in! An equalizer and a winner in second half stoppage time for Orange County off the left boot of Aiden Quinn. This is the Orange and Black Soccer Cast, the only podcast dedicated to Orange County Soccer Club, its fans, and supporters. Follow us on Twitter at OCSC underscore SoccerCast and on Facebook at Orange and Black SoccerCast. How's it going, Orange County? Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black SoccerCast, the first and only podcast dedicated to Orange County Soccer Club, its fans and supporters. I'm your host, Ray Samora, and I am with you each and every episode as we discuss all things Orange County Soccer Club. And joining me as he does each and every episode, hopefully in a mood to talk after what happened this week. And we've got Dylan from County Line Coalition. Dylan, how are you doing, man? I'm okay. Um, you know, I didn't have training today with a very annoyed um, manager. So I think I'm probably maybe a little bit better than the players were. Yeah, but apparently after the match, you decided to eat some chili cheese fries that didn't sit too well or something, I think, when I was following you on Twitter. Yeah, so um, for actually listen to this podcast that doesn't know, uh, my, my digestive system is not uh, the biggest fan of me, and I ate some chili cheese fries, um, and they were to go, and the place that I got them from <laughs> microwaved them in a styrofoam container, so... Oh. Where uh, you I was go really hungry like that, and yeah, so I guess don't 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 name the place because we don't want to get in trouble <laughs> yeah, for, for throwing a place under under the uh, bus. But uh, glad to hear you're doing a little bit better there. Uh, we've brought a a friend along, someone that you've now been hearing for the last couple of weeks. I think he's you know maybe he's take, trying to take advantage of some squatters' rights or something like that because he seems to just always show up on our podcast, uh, especially since this season started. And that's Cameron. Cameron, welcome back. Thanks for having me again, guys. I'm just uh, riding my groupie status, you know, die hard. I was going to say, I think you legally are the official groupie now of the Orange and Black Soccer cast. I'm honored. Ooh, shots called out to Andy. Um, I don't think, I don't he, think wants he wants that title. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he wants it either. We'll find out in the SoundCloud comments uh, yeah. tomorrow morning about 11 a.m. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you want to hear what Andy's thoughts are on what I just said, yeah, go check out our our SoundCloud page. Uh, he comments every single episode up pretty well. So we'll see what he thinks on that. But 
Uh, glad to have you back, Cameron, especially I, I think Dylan and I need a little bit of help with this episode. At least I feel like I probably do. Uh, it's just been hard to get over what happened at Championship Soccer Stadium this past weekend. Uh, I know you were there. Dylan was there. I was there. Uh, and I, I think it went the exact opposite of what I think any of us were thinking uh, when the match started. Right, uh, Cameron? Oh, yeah. I mean... The first four, I guess, as you know, the first half, it was all Orange County. It's the, the, the three at the back was working well. Tulsa never got a kick out of their own half. And I've never seen, I mean, this is probably one of the, the best halves I've seen from Orange County in a very long time. And I thought this was just going to be a walk in the park, two to up, seal the deal, you know, get the three points. And focus on New Mexico United next week. But then the second half, it's just, it felt so Jekyll and Hyde. It was like, what happened? It's, that's, that's seriously what, that's seriously, that's all I can really say. I'm just, I'm shocked. And I just think that when you give up two cheap goals, a penalty right before halftime, and then a miscommunication between your, your rookie keeper and center back, that just, the way in which those goals were conceived, I just think just it just killed Orange County's confidence. That's all I really can say. I feel you. And, and we're definitely going to get into all of that and probably a little bit more to uh, figure out or try and dissect what exactly happened. We're going to do something a little different. Typically we talk and then we hear some quotes from after the match from players and coaches, but I'm going to start off uh, with uh, coach Braden Cloutier after the match. Uh, when asked sort of what happened in this match, and this is what he had to say. Well, I thought for 44 minutes there's only one team on the field. Um, lose a little bit of focus, give away a goal, keep a team in a game long enough, make mistakes like we did tonight, you're going to get punished. And I thought after the second goal we gave up, we looked like boys. It was like youth soccer. The first time in my five years at this club, I've seen something like that. And it's going to get sorted out really quick. All right. So uh, looking at or listening to what coach Braden Cloutier had to say after that match, basically comparing the Orange County Soccer Club performance out there to boys or to youth soccer. I don't know if that's disrespect to the club or more disrespect to a youth soccer team out there. Uh, Dylan, what are your thoughts on those comments from coach Braden Cloutier? Uh, I think they're pretty spot on. Um, I think there's the anyone that's played FIFA in the last four or five years in career mode. I think one of the lines is something like it's like a schoolboy error conceding right after you've scored, and also the the historical the the two nil lead is the the most dangerous one because you get a little complacent. Um, and so I think that's kind of the, the meshing of those two things. But it was such a bad performance in the second half. Um, and I think he's he's right to say that's something I've never seen before um, because we've we've had bad games before in the past, uh, especially uh, two years ago and two and three years ago. But nothing where I've seen two essentially two different teams take the field where they played great the first half and then just absolutely fell to pieces and never got close to recovering. Cameron, what about you? What are your thoughts on those comments from the coach? I mean, 
I mean, you can't really go against it now, can you? Like, it was such just if it was so, it was just so bad in the second half, and you know, Braden had has every right to you know express his frustration because as a manager, like you're looking, you look at these players and it's like, what the hell's going on? Why? It's it's hard to explain. It. It's just when you can see two poor goals. It just it deflates the confidence of the team, and you can just tell the confidence was sucked out of it, was sucked out of the players. And it's it's just some of those. It's like it's one of those unexplainable performances. Like it just, you know, I mean, it's only the second game of the season, but just the matter of the loss just doesn't sit well at all. When you're up two zero, you don't lose five three. And you don't lose 5-3 to a team that you outscored by 10 goals last year. And they, they haven't gotten that much better. No, they haven't. <laughs> I'm waiting to, to just see what our, our, our good friend uh, Harry out there in San Antonio has to say. Because I was actually reading the quotes as we're doing our live broadcast here. And he actually, I'll, let me look for his quote on here. Um, and I think he Harsh, says on there. This time of year. Yeah, but, oh, he says better than last year. And I do think better than OCSC. That's just a piss take. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, it it was just this crazy, crazy thing because, uh, again, that first, like like Coach said and like you gentlemen have both been talking about, the first, like, half, the first, I guess, 44 and a half minutes of this match, Orange County was dominant. Uh, It looked like it was going to be a great night for us fans out there at the match, uh, those watching on, on the ESPN Plus stream. And then that late... Uh, handball in the box by Walker Hume, which gave Tolson an opportunity to put a goal on the uh, board heading into half. I think it was like literally right before the whistle. And then you go into halftime, instead of having a, a more comfortable 2-0 lead, it's now just a one-goal lead. And anyone that watches the sport of soccer knows, uh, you know, a two-goal a two goal game, a two-goal lead is not safe, but a one-goal lead is definitely not safe. So you get... I guess you gave Tulsa too much hope heading into halftime. And I, I can imagine the halftime speech is different from the coach going from a two goal down situation to a one goal down situation. And I think we've talked about it quite a bit for those of you that go to our website and read what we have to say. We actually have a lot of written stuff there lately. Um, one of our biggest fears heading into the season and so far in this early part of the season has been the lack of a experienced goalkeeper. Nothing against what Orange County has. I, I'm, I'm sure Lopez and Cervantes, they're good, uh, you know, quality goalkeepers to have maybe as your backups. But when you're going from someone like an Andre Rawls last season, who is a fringe MLS player, to now having a 17-year-old and a 22-year-old that you just signed out of Mexico who didn't really sniff any action there, uh, it, it, it's really scary. And, and we, we saw in that first match against Reno some big mistakes. Luckily, we didn't have to pay for those mistakes. But in this match against Tulsa, uh, you know, the mistakes were a little bit more, uh, especially that second goal that he gave up where he came out and made an attempt to clear the ball. And instead of kicking it maybe more out of bounds, off of the Tulsa player and with Walker Hume as your center back trailing back he doesn't have that much speed so 
it really made things um, not go so well there. Um, yeah, it, it's hard for me to really talk about this match. I, again, on our website, we do this thing called, or I've been doing it. It's called the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we pick a good aspect, a bad aspect, and an ugly aspect of the, of the match. And one of those things was the keeper. The other thing, the defensive marking on, on uh, set pieces was just horrendous. Two goals off of set pieces where the player from Tulsa got a clean head on the ball. Um, that's unacceptable for a team that's, that has dreams of, of playing in a, or lifting a championship at the end, lifting the USL Cup at the end of the season, right, Dylan? It's it's not even dreams of lifting the USL Cup. It's the expectation and the talent and the quality to do so. We were one step away. We brought back the core group, and then we added on in other places. And you know, last year we were, oh, Yoshoyevold's here and. He's getting lost on set pieces and he's not marking guys and we're conceding and there's no Yoshoyville anymore and it's still happening. So I'm sure it's something that's getting addressed in training. Uh, I know they watch a lot of, a lot of video and I'm sure that's getting drilled into them this week, but it was just surreal to watch happen. Um, and so, so frustrating as well. Um, just watching it go from two nil to 2-1, to 2-2, and then 2-3. And once I hit 2-4, it was I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to grab my stuff and get ready to go hopefully interview someone before they all run past me into the locker room, um, <laughs> which basically didn't end up happening. Um, but, yeah, without – I feel like when you don't have leaders on the pitch that aren't um, – you know, because Cloutier is obviously not on the pitch with the guys. He's not playing with them. When you don't have that that loud, um, demanding player like we had to in Thomas Enovoldson last year, uh, in situations like these, I think it's really up to everyone to kind of um, lift themselves up. And, and no disrespect to guys like Kevin Olsen, our captain, um, or to Aiden Quinn. But And I don't think that's their leadership style from, from the personality and the, and the vibes that I get off of them. Um, and I think it's, it's that big miss. There's no one there that's, I guess, constantly braiding the players to, to step it up, um, even when they're playing well, so that when it starts to slide, it, it keeps going. Um, an another aspect of this match, I think I mentioned it to, I don't know if it was you, Dylan, or maybe to my wife who was at the match with us, uh, I was looking at the match and the club was really missing Michael Seaton out there on the pitch. Uh, there was at least two or three instances that I can recall where there were some pretty good crosses into the middle of the box where Michael Seaton would normally be in position for. And instead, because he was out apparently with some sort of injury and instead they went with a, basically a two wing up front lineup with uh, Darwin Jones and Jerry von Wolfgang. Uh, you know, it, it, those crosses just didn't have no one. There was no one there to finish those crosses where in a typical game, either last season when you had Thomas and a Volton um, and then Michael Seaton towards the end of the year. And then Michael Seaton, even in the first game against Reno, that was his spot where he would probably at least get a shot on goal. And instead you just have a cross that just rolls right in front of the, uh, or right through the middle of the penalty. No one even gets an opportunity on that. Uh, let me go to you, Cameron is, is, is that um, 
it's not a concern that really there's no backup to Michael Seaton in instances where he can't play in a match like he against Tulsa? Well, yeah, because, you know, Orange County always thrived on a target man. You know, when you have Darwin Jones and Jerry Van Wolfgang up there, they're more creators than goal scorers. You know, they, I don't think they'll ever hit double-digit goals for the season. I mean, of course, the, the scoring is going to have to get spread out, but if you're lacking ideas and you have no one in the, cro- no one in the box to attack across, when the going gets tough, then it gets difficult. And as I said, as I said before the beginning of the season, we're going to have a hard time making up Ed Voltson's goals. And having Seton out limits the attack. But, you know, last on Saturday night, that shouldn't have been the case. OC should have played, see, saw that game out professionally and got the three points and moved on, but they didn't. That was more of a collective collapse. But yes, the long run, having seat now for X amount of games sporadically, if, if it happens, yeah, it's going to be detrimental to the team because there's going to be no, you know, center, center penalty box poacher, you know, that's, and someone who can hold the ball up, someone, a target man who can score goals, you know, that's always going to be a difficulty, but, you know, OC will do what they can to compensate. Um, a frustrating thing with this match is even after we had went uh, down, I think when we went to, or actually I think when it was uh, even at two, I think Darwin Jones had a, a shot on target that hit the crossbar, uh, which I mean, what you think inches lower and you have a goal to put your team back up ahead, which could have totally changed the whole complexion of this match. And then you think back to the match up in Reno, Darwin Jones comes onto the pitch almost instantaneously, gets a shot that hits the uh, the post uh, up there. Is I, I don't think this stat is anything that is kept anywhere. But I would we have to would it be safe to assume that Darwin Jones leads the league in 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 shots that hit the woodwork? I mean, if they ever kept a stat like that, but you know, I mean, if you don't put the ball in, it doesn't matter now, really, you know. I was talking to Franz Hoke in the pre- in the press box, and he's like, "Yeah, that he's like, that's the beauty of football, man. Went in, that could have changed the game." <laughs> but you know, um, yeah, it's just it is what it is, and that ball didn't go in. You know that I mean, it could it could have changed something, but who knows if would have been the response? Like the team would have responded accordingly. Um, Dylan. Let me talk to you because I know you were pretty frustrated uh, when. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> when Jerry von Wolfgang was, I guess, cleanly taken out in the midfield. Uh, eventually, he had to get taken out of the match after that, about five minutes after that happened. Um, and we have our, our buddy Alan is going to be joining us shortly. Um, we sort of uh, convinced him to come join us, even though he was in the middle of family time or eating some dinner or something like that. So we'll get him in and we can ask him about it as well because he actually watched the stream on ESPN plus uh, but when you're sitting there in the stands I, I, that play happened sort of you know I know it was more in the midfield but it was sort of in front of the supporter section um, what are your thoughts is is was that a foul or did it at least look like a foul out there in the middle of the pitch or can an argument be made that that was actually a clean takedown uh, I think it's a foul just because he gets so much of the man um, and you know there's the I guess the old like letter of the law which is if you get the ball first it's fine but it's not 
you know, the 80s and the Midlands anymore. So if you go and you take out the man and you go in recklessly, that's still a foul. And a lot of times it's a card. But when play goes on and this guy doesn't get up, you got to go back and make sure they're okay. Like player safety is part of being a referee. And when you don't go and do that at all, it's so confusing and so frustrating. Regardless of who it happens to, um, even last year in St. Louis that happened and the ref did a good job and took care of it. But this year you just let him there. And then I don't know what was going on on our own bench. Um, but they they took their time in subbing Jerry off as well. Um, and like you said, it took about five minutes and he clearly wasn't up to it at that point. Well, and especially when you look at him, because uh, I think from what I can remember when I saw it, I mean, it wasn't just like he got knocked down. He like flipped or did some like crazy maneuver in the air. Uh, so it may have looked a lot worse maybe than it actually was. I can't tell. Cause again, I was at the stadium. I didn't watch the, the stream. I couldn't watch the replay of the stream after uh, what had happened. Uh, Cameron, I don't know, because you were there as well at the stadium. Did you see that play, and what are your thoughts on what happened there? Well, I mean, it was clearly it was clearly a rough tackle, and it's it wore it should have warranted something. But I mean, clearly, Van Wolfgang was not well after it, and of course, he had to be subbed off. But it's just it's a, it's towing that fine line. Like it should have been. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it was like I don't remember if it was a card or not. But it's just, you know, that should have been card. That was a cardable offense because we see the modern game now. You even though you get the ball, you cl- you clean out the you clean out the player. It's a card regardless because you're endangering. It's violent. Con- it's, it's it's below. It's just below violent conduct. It's reckless play. But yeah. even then, like the play stops thirty seconds later, and the ref at no point, no one checks. The AR doesn't check. The center ref is too busy trying to sort out some spat between the Tulsa players and I think it was Darwin Jones who was standing in front of the ball and never bothered to turn around. I feel like it was Charlie Adams that was checking on Jerry, but I it think, was just surreal that like, yeah, I think that's such a main part of your job and you just don't do it. When I think, like, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I sorry to cut you off there, Dylan. I think you're right. It was like Charlie Adams checking on on our player, and then of course you had players like Aiden Quinn, Darwin Jones, sort of trying to figure out what the ref was thinking. You made that comment about the AR. I think the AR that was along the sideline, right in front of you guys out there in uh, the Counterline Coalition second out. I don't think that AR ever made like any kind of call other than to tell the you know the head ref, hey, corner kick or goal kick, or it went out of bounds, but. I never once saw her raise her flag, you know, on her own power saying, hey, that was a foul when there were a few instances that happened on her side of the pitch there. Well, you know, she was like three steps behind Walker Hume the entire time. So, you know, maybe I'm going to question the fact that she maybe shouldn't be an AR for the professional game if she's not fast enough to keep up with Walker Hume. Because, and this is no circuit to Walker, he knows he's not the fastest guy on the pitch. And there's a lot of guys that are way faster than Walker. So if she can't keep up with him, She's not going to be keeping up with a guy like Darwin Jones. I mean, on the on the stream, it looked real rough. And as he spun through, he kind of landed. It was like shoulder head. Like his head definitely bore a brunt of that landing, which absolutely made it worse. And speaking of not being right, there was a like a close up of one of the Tulsa players, 
and Jerry walks into the frame and he did not look good. Like I like made an I, I was watching by myself and like made it's like talked out loud like he does not look great. Well, like, I, and that brings the question because you got to see the stream. So if you saw and he like sort of did some sort of landing on or near his head, I, I believe the protocol for you know soccer and this is soccer in general. I think this is sort of been laid out by like FIFA saying this happens is anytime there's any potential of a head injury, you have to stop play right away and, and figure that out first. And so then I, you know, go back to what Dylan said and the fact that the play continued on, you know, for a good amount of time, that brings again, more questions to what the ref was thinking out there when there's, you know, and like you said, Alan, he didn't look good. He probably looked dazed or confused out there. Um, you know, it, it's that, that's, I think we get the frustrating part, even if it was, uh, you know, the guy got ball and this happened, the fact that there's the potential for a head injury, there, there's no excuse that the ref shouldn't have been stopping it uh, at that point. Yeah, I agree with uh, what Dylan was saying. Like, you know, even if you get ball, if you foul to get ball, like it doesn't excuse the foul like that. I think a good example is like the, like the scissor kick, like you might get the ball from your front foot, but if you bring your back foot through, they're going to get you regardless of how much ball you got. Um, yeah, because it's so dangerous. I mean, that's how you break. That's how you end careers. That's how you break guys' legs. Yeah, and it looked like he hit him in the right spot of the body to send him flipping, and he did. Like, if you're in the wrong position, it looks like he kind of lands on the side, but after seeing him look real bad, when they showed the replay again, I made note to watch exactly where his head was, and, I mean, his head definitely bore a lot of that fall, and, you know, if I'm a referee if i have ability to see some of that stuff you got to stop play right away that's that player is definitely in danger and and if i'm recalling correctly i believe the ref was in the vicinity of that it's not like the ref was like on the other side of the pitch or way out of position to see this happen um because i'm just trying to play back what i remember from the stadium is that happens and then he sort of runs forward with the play as the play moves uh continues on which again makes it even more frustrating i think for any orange county fan that may be listening and, and i'm sure Dil- i'm I'm getting Dylan even more riled up with, uh, with yeah. Or like, imagine being Jerry's wife and watching that happen, and then that just nothing happens for five minutes after that. It's, I mean, come on, it's player safety. Like, that should be the most important part of your job. I agree. Uh, Alan, uh, now that we have you on here with us, I don't know if there's anything else that you want to share, maybe what we've been talking about or uh, just your thoughts in general of of the complete opposite performances from Orange County in the first half as opposed to the second half uh, as you were watching that. I mean, it felt weird because the first half I am like just enjoying it. I'm sitting there, I'm taking jotting down notes and I'm like, this is the Orange County that I remember watching last year. They look they look good. They look dangerous. You know, they get that penalty. You're like, they're going to go into half up to nil. This is going to be great. And then handball is like, all right, you know, it's weird. It's a weird way to end. We're going to be fine. They've been dominant. And then just like one thing after another just went wrong. And the weaknesses were exposed by those few mistakes. Um, and, and then they just, I just felt like, you can feel it through the TV that just it, the body language changed and, and, you know, not having Van Wolfgang on there. We were talking about that. I think that's a turning point in the game. Um, I think that kind of puts people off a little bit and then they give up that goal. And it was, it was crazy. Like 
like the mel- how fast it happened was amazing to me. Yeah, I, I, I was, um, I was pretty shocked, like how the goals just kept piling on there in the second half. I think almost everyone out there in Section Nine at uh, Championship Soccer Stadium was just sort of in disbelief as goal after goal after goal gets scored by Tulsa, um, ruining what was up until the halftime a pretty good night. And um, I guess, uh, well, let's let's get to this then. Let's let's uh, try and discuss: is was there any positives to come out of this match, or any bright sides, or anything we can think of that um, going forward we want to see more of out of this club? I'm gonna let you gentlemen just sort of think what you want to say there. I'm gonna actually, uh, Coach Brian Cloutier was after the uh, asked after the match this exact question, and this is what he had to say. You know, right now, after that defeat right there, I mean, it's very hard to, to, to find any kind of bright spots. You know, the first half, like I said, for the first 40, 45 minutes, there was only one team on the field. They didn't create anything. We had all the possession. We created opportunities. We looked like a, a strong side. But there, like I said, you can see giveaway mistakes in games like this. You give anybody a little bit of hope, you know, and you're not strong mentally. You're going to end up giving away goals like that, and we're going to end up losing games like that. All right, so as you could tell, uh, I think even Coach Braid included didn't even really see many bright spots, especially with what happened in the second half. I think he acknowledges the first half went pretty well, uh, but it's one of those things, uh, uh, you know, if a soccer match was a 45-minute match, we would have had an amazing night. We would have been excited right now talking, but it's not. It's 90 minutes. Uh, I'm going to start off with you, Cameron, because I haven't heard your voice in a, in a few minutes here. Uh, any bright spots to take out of this match or anything that, that that's positive the club can take from this match moving forward? Or is this one of those matches where you just have to uh, watch the tape one time and then just burn it and just move forward? Well, I mean, it's the, probably the only one of the very few positives you can take out of this. Just it's a game where there's chemistry slowly building up. Like it's just like one of those learning experiences because, you know, it's an experience key goalkeeper with a back line he's never really worked before i mean new players got their feet wet i mean that's as far as it that's as, that's as far as it goes because this is just one of those results you just gotta chuck in the bin and say look in the second game of the season regular season ends in october let's just erase that out of our memory and move on all right uh dylan what about you um yeah, it's hard to look at positives because of how that game ended up going and because the whole second half, I mean, what can you really say? Like, a positive, Geo scored a great goal, and hopefully that helps his confidence. Um, but I think um, looking at individuals, Darwin Jones is absolutely killer, and he should be a starting winger. Um, no questions asked, he's been probably one of the most productive and most creative players on the pitch for us. And then uh, Loney uh, Hugo Ariana looks good. Um, he looks comfortable with the ball at his feet. He seemed like he fit in pretty well in that back four, uh, despite just being announced a couple of days ago. So I'm excited to see what, what we'll get out of him this year. Um, and he looked like he was happy to be playing here. Um, I was laughing because when... <laughs> they came out onto the pitch. He had he had uh, beat his chest, beat the crest, and I was laughing. I was like, "Dude, you're on loan. Like, what are you?" And he's on loan from like he's on loan from like the enemy. Uh, you know, I guess if you can call him the enemy, even though I never 
think Los Dos is a true enemy as they don't really try to win in USL as, as much as other teams do. But yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah, so I thought I thought that was pretty funny. But hey, if he wants to be here, um, I think he could be half as talented as Alex Cronali. But that that passion and that desire uh, will make up the difference and, and won't burn us. So uh, yeah, those are my my two positives: Darwin Jones and uh, Hugo Ariano. How about you, Alan? Um, I'm putting on my optimist hat, and I mean, scoring three goals is always something that maybe we can. Focus on as a positive um, dominant offense in the first half. Like, what can we do to replicate that in the second half? And then um, I think the other positive to walk away from is, I mean, this is the same record through the first two games as last year. I mean, I know things are a little bit different, and it might feel a little bit different because it was like, I think one of the losses was like a red card 1-0 like a, and a draw. So you look back last year, you're oh one and one the first two games. So what can we do to go on that run that Orange County did at this point? Their, their first mini run before they had a couple of losses and then tore the second half. So there's I think some positives from there. It's like you might be feel like you're in a hole, but you're exactly where you were last year. You ended up winning the West. It's you know, we can still do it again. Yeah, you know, for me the bright spot is is the offensive production. Um uh, again, if if you go onto our site, you read what I had to say about both uh, Lopez and just the defense in general in the match. Those were my bad and ugly parts of the match. I, I went back and looked at the highlights. I watched the uh, the two goals from set pieces were just ridiculously marked by the defense. There's no excuse. Uh, maybe you know one mistake you give up a, a a clean header to a player it shouldn't happen a second time especially the same player getting that opportunity um that's just ridiculous on there so the offense awesome they they were able to get some some goals on the on the board um just need our defense and our goalie to to pick things up or it's going to be a long season for for the club and for fans uh out there um i don't know can can we pick I guess we can if we want to go with Tulsa too. Can we pick an uh, an MVP for the match? Uh, or let's do this. Um, let's go MVP and an LVP for the match. So if you don't really understand the acronyms, there the most valuable player and the least valuable player on the pitch on um, on Saturday. I'm going to start with you, Cameron. Well, I mean, it's hard to you know really have an MVP when Things just didn't go well. Um, you could you could defer and say, yeah, I'm not going to pick an MVP just because no one deserved it. If you want, yeah, I mean, it's made, of course, like I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just going to opt down this MVP vote. The LVP is obviously Carlos Lopez. He just looked out of sorts, out of his depth. Of course, that's experience, but he could have done better on some of those goals. I mean, it. He just looked like he looked like a fish out of water. Didn't That's he once it. play? Didn't he once play for Dorados? He's made zero appearances at the top <laughs> level. Um, let's go to you, Dylan. Do you have any thoughts for an MVP and an and or an LVP for the match? Yeah, I think the MVP's got. I mean, it's obviously gonna be a tallest player when he went five three. Uh, Luca Lobo, number 12, 20 year old, the Brazil. Um, he has to be the MVP two goals and yeah i'm gonna have to echo um 
Cameron here, Carlos Lopez has to be the least valuable player. Um, I don't know how well he organizes the back line at set pieces. Um, those goals were conceded on the far side of the field, so I can't hear or really see what he's doing from the angle we have. But even then, um, kicking the ball out of bounds in any position is always better than just kicking it straight in front of you with the guy that's running at you. And I talked about this last year because this happened a couple times last year, but like when in doubt, kick it out. There's a reason that's a cliche. There's a reason it's ridiculously trite um, because it's the best advice when you find yourself suddenly overwhelmed. And so. It's a reason why I try and teach that to my, my six-year-old and his soccer team as a coach. I tell them, if I tell you to get rid of the, or kick the ball, it means just kick it out of bounds or, you know, down don't the kick sideline. It at the yeah, person don't... right in front of you. Yes. I mean, my or God. in the middle of the field. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I'll just say I miss Andre a lot. And um, at this point, I miss like Casey and Charlie Lyon a lot too. <laughs> like I, I those, those guys don't have jobs. They're tall and uh, oh. they, they did jobs for us last year. Well, Charlie for us two years ago, but. Or even Casey Luis Lopez. Even Lopez. No. no, no. No, uh, I'm not than, ready for that heart attack. Better than what Again. we've seen so far out of our goalkeeping this season, but we'll get into that in a little bit here. Alan, let me hear from you. Any MVP or LVP from this match from you? Um, if I had to pick a Orange County player, I thought Darwin Jones did a great job. I think he can be a finger. I mean, he beat a man on the outside to get the first Orange County goal, and I think he was kind of the offensive firepower. Um, like you said, had that header you mentioned kind of go up against the pole, the post. Uh, but best player on the pitch was definitely Luca Lobo. Those two uh, set pieces were awesome. Uh, my LVP, um, I have to give Lopez credit for on the second um, or on the first set piece, he did make that save, and then no one was there to clean up um, and ended up getting put away by Lobo. So he headed the ball got a save and then kicked it in. So, uh, I mean, I would have to probably pick the defensive back line. Uh, Walker Hume's speed or lack thereof let him down on the deflected shot. I know that that's Lopez's fault for putting him in that situation, but, I mean, you watch that replay and it's like watching a dude run and then watching someone in slow motion and you're just hoping he gets there and he just doesn't quite get there. Um so I would say like kind of just most of the back, you know, center backs and, and Carlos, can I give to all three of them? I thought they didn't work very well together at all. Alan was just attacking my favorite player on the roster. I know. Lack I feel, of speed. I feel so terrible. <laughs> I feel so terrible. Yeah. I do think the, like the wing backs, you know, uh, did play well. I think it was just kind of that center of the pitch. There was no one, no defensive guy, whether that's Lopez or Hume, who has that experience kind of taking charge of that back line. I just felt like between the two of them, they can figure it out. And I know Walker Hume is a fan favorite and I feel terrible, like writing, and saying some of those things, but I think, you know, I do think that if you got a slightly speedier center back, he's getting to that ball first. Well, and that's a hard part when you play a back three instead of a uh, traditional back four, when you have your center backs, a a slower center back, it's going to make things a little bit difficult for you. And it just, you know, that play just led to what happened there. Uh, You know, 
I have to agree with you as far as LVP has to be the defense. Uh, yes, Lopez had a horrible, horrible match with, or especially that one play. But there's, again, no excuse that a team at the quality of Orange County gives up one, let alone two clean headers off of set pieces. Yes, Lopez made an amazing save on one of them. But again, the defense didn't count on that ball to get it out of there. Uh, they sort of left Lopez hanging on that one. Uh, the other one, uh, Lobo just got a nice header right to the upper corner. There's nothing anyone could have done about that one. But again, he shouldn't have been able to get clean looks on that. He, sh- he wasn't even contested on either of those, which is the disappointing part. Um, MVP has to be Lobo from Tulsa uh, because of, of what I was just talking about there. So. Um, let's talk about something. And I, I didn't let any of the guys know about this subject, but I was just thinking about it as we're talking, um, you know, it was the team's first home match. It didn't go quite well. I know there's some local guys on this team that were making their debuts in front of their fam- uh, family and friends. Uh, I, I don't know if you noticed this Dylan or Cameron, but after the match, some of those guys seemed almost like okay with what happened. They were just more excited to be with their friends and family. Um, And this was like shortly after the end of the match. Is that concerning or frustrating to anyone? Or is it just me just sort of maybe um, overthinking that? Uh, Dylan, let me go to you first because I want to. Because you know you're going to get a hot take out of me for asking this question. Uh, uh, Apparently someone wants you to beat Skip Bayless, so go for it. Yeah, Harry, of course. Um, I <laughs> look. I'm never gonna be in this position. Um, my shot at my my shot at sports glory ended in a wonderful um, concussion filled, uh, brilliant ending. So um, I'm probably not the one to be the the uh, enforcement on this. But um, yeah, I think if you have a very disappointing game and you are directly at fault for things at least personally i would not be um too thrilled and and laughing and joking around um i'd probably say uh hi and thanks to the people that that come and visited me especially if it was the first professional game of my career in the place i grew up um that would be that would be understandable for me um i, I would definitely say hi but i would also be very frustrated um probably be a little bit more like uh danny chrysostomo who just um basically got off the pitch as fast as possible (laughs) into the locker room um and he was obviously frustrated by what happened and and that's what i would have taken from it and that's i i imagine um if cludier saw anything that's probably what he would want out of his team as well because that undeniably was a, a disaster of a game and that was far far below what their level of play is um and he was frustrated, and the fans were frustrated, and, and rightfully so. So, well, and we've yeah, I don't think it's the best thing to be like <laughs> smiling five well, minutes I mean, after you've given up five goals against a team that is kind of trash. And we've ex- we we've experienced Dylan. I don't know if Cameron, if you've been in this situation, but typically, especially when it's a very bad loss like what that uh, situation was, you're not really going to get access to the players. The players are ready to get off the pitch. The coaching staff isn't even going to force the players to talk to anyone because they're upset. Um, so when you see some of that happening uh, almost immediately after the match, it, it can be frustrating um, for the fans. 
And then, you know, again, because we see the way the players react to match the ones that are, you know, have been professionals longer or that um, maybe are not making their debut in front of, of, of friends and family, how that reaction happens. I don't know, Cameron, what are your thoughts on that? Is, well, is it something I mean, that. I mean, echoing that last point, like try getting quotes from a team that hadn't won in a month and a half back in 2017 towards their <laughs> second half collapse, you know, try, try doing this for a month and a half. And, and I, that, I'm very familiar with that, but it's, it's for me, it's a, it's a hard subject to, to hit on because you look at Danny Christostomo, he went straight into the locker room. Yeah. That's, that's a very, like, I would say it's a good reaction because, you know, who would want to stay on the bench for as long as possible. But the thing is though, it's like your local boy and your family and friends have shown up. Like you kind of have to like raise your spirits up despite the tough defeats, you know, they're, they're there to watch it. It's your first professional game. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, dive deep into this and being like they don't, like all of a sudden he doesn't care you know it's 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 a touchy subject to hit on because this is clearly most of that some of them that's their first professional game and their family and friends are there and their family and friends obviously probably know the result too and they're probably trying to cheer him up as well so that's um i feel like this it's we i feel like we may be reading too much into this yeah and i think it's fair to say like no one plays uh, here in Orange County, or no one plays in the USL because you know none of these guys on this roster have an undying love of this soccer team. So it is probably a little bit much to say, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that because um, at the end of the day, it's a chance to play professionally and it's a job for these guys. So um, it's probably nice to to have that break from from your work, especially after a bad day of work and see your friends and family. Um, that makes sense. So I don't, I don't want to beat them up for it. I, <laughs> I mean, I, I know these guys aren't here because their life goal was to grow up and play in the USL. Um, and especially or, considering this County, team yeah. didn't exist for makes uh, 30 most of these guys. Lives. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Alan, let me jump to you really quick. What are your thoughts on this subject? Are we are are Dylan and I being a little too harsh, or do you agree more with Cameron on like you know it, it is what it is. I think as fans, we probably feel things emotionally higher and lower than still playing. Like, because you can't get too high, you can't get too low, you can't beat yourself up too much to the losses, and then you can't get overhyped when you win, especially during the regular season. I mean, championships, league titles, you know, that's something different. But I think, you know, if you look at, you know, just sports Twitter in general, like the reactions of the fans are always going to be like a little bit more mad when they lose. And, you know, with me, like I'm playing, you know, in a, I'm playing in a band and something goes wrong. Like sometimes you just got to walk off the stage and be like, that was terrible. Like, we don't know what happened and turn the page, like immediately like move on. Cause you get stuck in this rut of like, ah, oh, that was horrible. Then we go into the next game with the mentality of this was horrible. So I think that, you know, as fans, we're, I think we're, especially on the bad side, I think we always feel it a little bit more and they get mad when they don't, but realize that it's like, they have to be professional about it. Like it's probably demoralizing, but they got to turn the page as fast as possible. Great. Uh, let's move on. Cause we needed to talk about a match that's coming up here this weekend. Uh, it's uh, sort of an unknown factor here. New Mexico United, one of the new teams in the league. They've played two matches. They've drawn two matches, both of those matches. One of them against uh, Fresno, one of them against Phoenix. Um, 
So we're going to talk about that. Um, do any of you gentlemen even know much about New Mexico United? I, I'll just throw it out there. If anyone wants to just jump in and start talking, go for it. I mean, they duked out a draw versus uh, Phoenix. So, I mean, Phoenix has always been – Phoenix is a good team. So Ooh. they might be – I'm not sure whether they tied it. I'm not sure whether they tied it. Like they tied it to like tie the game, but whether they conceded. They gave it up three like, times. Well, oh yeah, so that's probably <laughs> they're, they're 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 coming they're coming here with like their heads down. But you know, it really really to be honest, they're more confident than uh, Orange County is right now, right? Well, no, the thing, the thing is with Orange County, the only way is up. Like, can it? From the, from Saturday, like yes, they can losing to a, an expansion team or whatever you call them in the USL, uh, a first year team definitely can get lower than where we are right now. I mean, I mean, we ought to hope that Orange County doesn't play the way they did last this last Saturday. So uh... I don't think Cludia would let them. <laughs> I think he would literally drag them off the pitch by their ears if that happened. Can you imagine that? Yeah. He's just like, you know. I don't like, want to. I don't want to like, imagine having like to Like what mom that used game. to do, you know, when you got in trouble, grab your ear. You come here, young man. You're in trouble or something. Well, I feel like I feel like Cleo would probably bring in like a Bobby Knight sort of speech. Throwing chairs all over the place or what? <laughs> yeah, I'm buddy. Sick. I'm, I'm sick and tired of losing to New Mexico United. So. It would be the first time, so I don't know how sick and tired he'd be off of that. But well, I mean, like, <laughs> or, 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 or like, I'm sick and tired of losing the first team at first uh, year expansion teams. Oh man, oh man. Well, I do I mean, think I do think New Mexico ends up being a playoff team. I think that's where people are kind of putting them because they brought in some good people and their black like their black kits are amazing. Like I almost <laughs> bought one and it was like eighty five bucks. I was like, eh, I'll pass. Um, so I do think they're going to give – I mean, they do think they're a good team like as far as, like, you know, middle of the West. So they're not, like, terrible. They're not, like, a El, uh, El Paso um, or one of those – or Luden, Loudon, however you say there. <laughs> um, uh, I, I mean, they're going to give a fight, but, you know, Orange County needs to bring the business. And I, I do think it, it would be a tough loss to lose to uh, New Mexico. I think Dylan, you even picked them. I think you had them like eighth seed in the West uh, in your preseason rankings, or if not, right there, just outside of it. So you sort of saw them as at least a, a decent opponent in the season and not a, a walkover, right? Yeah, I mean they've got some quality players. Um, they've got Kavon Freider, who last year played in, in in Phoenix, and I know he wasn't a big fan favorite of theirs. I don't think was it Billy Forbes. I literally can't tell. Their fan base is impossible to read sometimes. Um, <laughs> But um, they've picked up some good guys. Uh, Santiago Moir is in obviously great form. He scored two goals, um, including one, which is like a goal of the week contender. And I'm probably going to win the goal of the week in Phoenix. Um, it's worrying. I'm legitimately worried. They've got a good roster. They've got uh, Chris Wayan, uh, formerly of Reno, and the San Jose Earthquakes on their squad. Interestingly, he didn't make the starting... 11 or even the bench for their match against Phoenix. So shout out to our good friend, Brad, Brad Polonsky up in Reno for pointing that one out to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a little worrying. They seem to be firing well for whatever reason. Um, and yeah, okay. They've got two points out of two draws, but they've been playing well. 
they played against you know, the team that's probably supposed to win the USL again. And sure, they gave up uh, a lead three times, but it's a tough thing to do and it's tough to play in Phoenix. So I don't know what to expect. Looking forward to this match. Uh, I'm not necessarily optimistic. And I think we play a pretty similar game. So when you say a similar game, like similar to them or similar to what we played this last week, um, similar to, to the style, I think that they, they play okay. in, um, okay. but a lot calmer. They've picked up a, a lot of yellow cards already. So, um, you know, Michael Seaton's a big miss when we look at this because Seaton's the guy that gets under the, you know, some center back skin or, or some, uh, defensive mid skin and, gets him to lash out at something stupid, pick up a pointless card, and then just torch him the rest of the game and make him pick up that second yellow. So or say something like the playoffs and just get a straight red. You know? <laughs> so you're expecting Seton to not be in the match? I I don't think so. I think if he had been fit enough... He would have um, been on the bench at least, right? He would have been at least on the bench. But okay. I don't think we should rush him back either. Um, whatever... I'm assuming it's an injury. He... It has to be right. There's literally no other reason that we could drop him. He's yeah, yeah, buying away our best attacker. Um, we shouldn't rush him back. It's the second or now the third week of the season, and uh, you know there's 32 weeks ahead of us, and we're gonna need him then. And we'll have to make do for now. But yeah, I don't want him to get rushed back and and try and play with a knock for 20 weeks this season. <laughs> Uh, let's do this, gentlemen. Um, let's jump to some predictions, I guess. Uh, score, if you have a player that you're thinking will shine this weekend, go for it. Uh, let's start with you, Cameron. I think it's going to be a draw. Probably I'd say it 2-2. We concede late. And uh, I think my prediction for players that will do out the match, I think I'm still going to stick with Darren Jones. I think he finally puts away a chance. And I think that he will be the X factor for Orange County. What about you, Alan? Um, I was uh, feeling that 2-2 draw as well. I think uh, New Mexico puts up enough fight to get yet another point. Um I'm going to go with, I think, Aiden Quinn finds his way to, you know, either a goal and assist or two assists on those two goals. Um, I think he's kind of quietly been doing his thing. Uh, not super flashy, not getting a lot of love like uh, Darwin Jones might. Uh, but he's, you know, he's got some – both games he's played pretty solidly. So I think he continues that. And Dylan, what about you? Uh man. Uh, I got to say with Alan's point, yeah, I think it generally takes Quinn a couple weeks to get going into that amazing uh, level that he he's at, and especially missing a number nine. That's going to be a big miss for us. But, yeah, in terms of big Orange County players, Darwin Jones. I mean, he better be the first name on the on the team sheet <laughs> right up there with Kevin Alston um, because those guys, like, how could you not play them right now? How could you not play Darwin right now when he's been our most creative player? Um, for New Mexico, Santiago Moir. I mean, he's been playing well, especially last week. He's who worries me most. Um, and I'm torn between my heart saying that we're 
going to win and my head saying that we're either going to draw or lose. So I'm going to go with what my heart says and I'm going to say a 2-1 victory. We'll finally stop conceding a lot of goals per game. All right. Um, here we go. I'm going to say 2-1 Orange County. I'm being hopeful there. Uh, my player to watch for the match is, again, going to be a little hopeful. And this is, you know, dependent on there's no new roster um, announcements made throughout this week. I'm going to pick Aaron Cervantes as the uh, the star or the player to watch in this match. Um, that's, I guess, more hopeful than anything, just because after the performance we saw from Lopez this weekend, I, I, I want to see a change, whether it's a roster announcement or giving the 17-year-old a chance out there. Because... Um, I don't think he can do much worse than what happened this past Saturday. So let's see it. Right. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> I, I do too, but it's. Uh, it's just turned to a goalkeeping gross podcast now. This, this is like the first time we've ever been this critical, I think. Yeah, I feel bad and it feels wrong. Well, I don't really think we does. had a match like this last season when we were doing the podcast, did we? I, no, I know we had. I, the... I know we had our confident predictions that the team disappointed us on but that was more us being overconfident i think in this match just the way it ended up it's just you need to see some sort of changes um i guess the other person maybe to look for as a change would be leonardo getting out there um but yeah uh, nothing against lopez because i mean i get it he's a young inexperienced goalkeeper it's just one of those things i don't think he's like this clear-cut number one regardless of anything that happens, I just need to see something different just to maybe get a better understanding or just feel a little bit more comfortable with him going forward. Uh, maybe that's what it is as well. It's, it's one of those things just after such a uh, self-destruction there in that, uh, that, that match, I just need to see some changes, including a change in, in goalkeeper, at least for this upcoming match. No, I think that's fair. I mean, in the two games that Lopez has played for us, his look shaky. He's looked very shaky in his his goal tally or his goals against tally <laughs> for his entire professional career, which I get has been very short. He's barely older than I am. It's already increased by forty six percent in two two games. And so, yeah, I get you want to buy young um, you want to buy young players because if they work out, uh, you can sell them on for a profit because you basically got them for nothing, and that makes sense as a business. But it's hard to do that with a goalie. And I think everyone basically knows, unless you're um, Donnarumma, you're not peaking or you're not ready for ready for the pros at, at 19. Yeah. So Or even at like 23. Be, yeah, so if we're going to be title contenders, we need to have a goalkeeper that is also a title contender. Um, you know, And if we're going to market ourselves as title contenders, then the, the, the whole squad needs to to represent that so it's it's frustrating um someone, someone are you brushing your teeth cameron <laughs> <laughs> or he's so shaving Alex, brushing his teeth at the moment <laughs> there's a mute button you can hit that you know <laughs> oh the most random things come out of cameron's phone or or camera so or whatever. random I, stuff I feel, he's doing this week uh, I, feel like, I feel like that's my random thought of the match random point of the <laughs> random thought of the podcast 
So just we'll get curious. into random thought here. Let's get into random thoughts. But before we do so, I just have one last question for you, soccer related. I was just, as we were talking, I looked at the current standings for USL championship, looking at both the West and the Eastern conference. I know we're only two games in, but the top four teams on the West right now are all teams that were not in the playoffs last season. Yeah. Two uh, Oklahoma teams for health's yep. sake. Okay. <laughs> Darn you, Cameron, having yes. to make me make my work. I have to stay up later now and edit this podcast. Thank you, Send him an invoice. <laughs> that was like at a minute and something. So I, I'm going to have to write that down somewhere. Thank you, Cameron. Um, so, but yeah. Sorry, Ray. I <laughs> forgot to do it. <laughs> yeah, so OKC Energy, Tulsa Roughnecks, Portland Timbers 2, and Fresno FC are the top four in the West. In the East, you got two teams at the top that didn't make it in North Carolina FC, Tampa Bay Rowdies. I know very early in the season, things will change, but – I just think that's a neat little thing to talk about. Let's do this. Let's get into random thoughts. I'm going to go to you, Alan, because I haven't heard your bit. Alan, what is your random thought? If you have one, if not, you can uh, say you don't have one. It's fine. <laughs> um, no, this week uh, is going to be kind of a fun week. Uh, I teach middle school band, and I'm taking all my three groups to festival on Thursday. So uh, one of the groups is pretty predictable. And like, I know they're going to do well, but taking beginning band, it can go any direction. And it's kind of the fun part of doing my gig is you don't know what these kids are going to do, but they almost always like rise to the challenge and it's kind of a cool experience. So I get to kind of a reprieve from sports and it's an all day thing. I'll be out of off campus working with my band, my band kids um, on Thursday. So I'm looking forward to that. So that's my random thoughts. I don't have a Robert Frost hot dog poem. Sorry. <laughs> I'll have to ask you, Alan, because you do, uh, I guess, you, you teach band. What was your instrument, uh, uh, your your main instrument? Uh, trombone is my, and still is my main instrument. Uh, I learned guitar in college because it's hard to play, like, Dave Matthews Band uh, that's when I, <laughs> oh, uh, on God. trombone. Hey, hey, it was when I was in college, to be fair. I, graduated oh, I know exactly when you're in college now. Yeah, I know exactly how old you are. It was that or John Mayer, and that's all you had to do. Oh, so you're actually about like seven years younger than I expected you to be then. All right. Uh-oh. So yeah, that, that era of John Mayer was really bad too. So I'll give you that. It was all right. <laughs> girls liked it. So I mean. Well, yeah. Girls also liked Crash Into Me, but that song's about watching a woman change. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she doesn't want you watching. So. That is true. And, and I will say thank you to to Alan for bringing up John Mayer and Dave Matthews because now I can tag them in our podcast and I can put their names in the title somewhere because we talked about them. We can probably get John Mayer on the podcast. <laughs> Let's get him on. Get it, work it, Dylan. You know him. Get him on. Um, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Cameron, what's your random thought besides teeth brushing? Man's got to invest some iPod earphones with a mic so we can avoid all of this. Or just utilize think, the mute. I think if you have a mic on your earphones, you're still going to hear the sounds coming out of your house. So um, that would sort of it's just what we call wishful thinking. <laughs> you know, I'll give you my my pair if you're there on Saturday. All right, cool. Uh, Random thought solved. Dylan, now- <laughs> Dylan, what about you? <clears throat> All right. So this week, uh, my literature recommendation is a 26 minute read from longreads.com called A Three-Day Expedition to Walk Across Paris Entirely Underground. Um, Journalist Will Hunt, who made the crossing with a group of urban explorers, recounts being menaced by rainwater and rats. 
and meeting fellow subterranean wanderers along the way. It's a great read. Uh, again, 26 minutes, well worth your time. It's just under 7,000 words. And uh, I know it's supposed to rain these next, maybe just day, I think. But um, I'm curious about the weather on um, on Saturday night. It'll be a wonderful... I should get some NPR music going. Um, and this is entirely because everyone tells me I have an NPR voice. But um, it will be a lovely uh, 63 degrees at kickoff. The sun's setting just one minute before the ball gets rolling. All right. I'll get some music queued up next week. Some like classic yeah, NPR right. noises. Just, just make sure it's music that is okay for us to put on our podcast. I don't want us to get taken down for using the wrong you know, music. I'll just play John Mayer backwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's 441 GMT. All right, random thought for me, since you guys are random off into nowhere. um, Into Wonderland. I know this is a soccer podcast, but it is March. There's a big sporting event that happens in the month of March called March Madness. Only one Southern California team made the tournament, and it is the university that I work for, University of California in Irvine. They have made the tournament along with some team up north, somewhere St. Mary's or something like that. But who cares about that? UCLA did not make it. USC How could you say that to Andre Rawls? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God man. is a gale, man. <laughs> you know his dad's going to comment something now. UCLA didn't make it. USC did not make it. San Diego didn't make it. Um, whoever else you could think of in Southern California didn't make it. But um, UCI, the Anteaters, made it. So I will be uh, trying to follow that. Uh, for as long as he can make it. Hopefully they can pull a Cinderella run. Um, and, you know. How's UNR? Did they make it? How are they supposed to do? Um, no, they didn't make it. Again, Irvine's the only wow. team from Southern California that well, made it. I'm pretty sure Reno is not in Southern California. Otherwise, we wouldn't have flown. Uh, yes. Geography talking... fails you? Yeah, yeah. Ge- geography <laughs> fails me. I think they made it. I'm not talking about out of state. I'm talking about California. <laughs> and for some reason, in my ear, I heard you say Riverside. So oh, I uh, knew you'd get frustrated if I brought up UNR. So, uh, oh, Wolfpack. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we can tag UNR <laughs> and John Macaluso. And we don't want them on here. <laughs> <laughs> and Cal State Baseball is more college World Series than UC Irvine. Tag them. Boom. <laughs> we can tag my college's women's softball team. They're like 14 and 7. And I'm the announcer. So why do we always get to this like crazy part of the episode where we just start talking? Is we're just spewing out random colleges so we can tag every single college. We're just trying to have a cathartic experience after having to talk about a goalkeeping situation. <laughs> Alan, what college do you want to throw onto our podcast just to throw them on there? Tag it. Uh, the University of Redlands. All right. Right. Yeah, they didn't make the tournament either. No, they would not. They played Villanova <laughs> once, though, and took them to the wire. Although they had like three of their players suspended. Like a little D3 college. I, I the gym. Newspapers when they announced the players. It was classic. I, I love that comment. We played Villanova once. Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That is awesome. I think, gentlemen, I think that that's cue that it's time to end this fun little uh, uh experience here and you know we got to vent a little bit some of our frustrations hopefully we will not have to do this again on our podcast or this will just sort of change our whole um, weekly thing here if we have to keep doing this so hopefully it doesn't have to happen again um really quick uh cameron let our listeners know where they can find you on the, the social media network things you can follow me at twitter 
at what Cameron said. Instagram, simply known as Cam. And that's it. What did you say, Cameron? Oh, um, no, I'm just- you can follow us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alan, what about you? Any, any, you know, what, you know what these tech difficulties oh. you get? <laughs> yeah, you can find me uh, at a Underwood 48. Uh, it's a good mix of different interests, including apparently early 2000s acoustic tracks. All right. Dylan, what about you? Uh, you can find me on, oh, actually, let me preface this by saying that someone told me that I was extremely hard to find on the internet yesterday. So basically, <laughs> my life is complete. Um, you can find things Goodbye. that involve me and soccer at OCSC underscore Dylan on Twitter and Reddit. And then you can sometimes find me updating our um, podcast uh, Instagram at OCSC underscore Soccercast, and you know what, Ray? I updated on Saturday, and today I made a <laughs> countdown timer for our episode. So, way to go, I'm, man! I'm trying to get legit or something. You're trying. You're trying. That should be, uh, that, that should be a, the Twitter bio for the podcast. Extremely hard to find the internet. Oh yeah, exactly. We have 24 profile visits in the last seven days, and last week it was three. So that's he's that's up in his game. He's up in his game, man. I think that's 100. <laughs> percent Um. Me, you can check me out at DJ Ray Samora on I'll leave Twitter. Leave that to your wife. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, you can find the podcast Twitter at OCSC underscore SoccerCast. Find us on Facebook by searching for Orange Box SoccerCast. <laughs> Are you okay, uh, Cameron? I hope you are. Um, you can go to our website, orangeandblacksoccerguest.com. We have written stuff uh, provided by Dylan and Alan. Self, sorry, Cameron, you have not yet been included into that. Uh, we also are in the works. We're, I've, it's already gone live, so you can go there and check it out. But we have a page sort of dedicated to Counterline Coalition. <coughs> has uh, some of their chant lyrics on there, along with audio files that I been able to capture going to some of these matches so you can actually learn the chance before you head to championship soccer stadium and you can chat along with us um yeah with that said i think that's good we're good to go this is the orange and black soccer cast and we are out Podcasts are a great way for your business to advertise to target audiences. And the Orange and Black Soccer Cast is looking for advertisers like you. If you're interested in advertising your business on our podcast, please email us at info at orangeandblacksoccercast.com. The Orange and Black Soccer Cast has joined forces with many other soccer podcasts, many of them focusing on the USL. We're now part of the Beautiful Game Network, bgn.fm.